Hello and welcome to the Evidence-Based Physiotherapy Podcast. A podcast for physiotherapists and physiotherapy students to discuss all things related to research, evidence and applying it to your practice. So today we are joined by Steve. I'm a third year physio student. I'm Leisha. I'm a second year physio student. And I'm Alex, a lecturer in physiotherapy. And today we are going to be talking about finding evidence. So when we talk about evidence, what comes to your mind? I think in the most simplest like forms, the first thing that comes to like my head is a, like a definition, I guess, would just be like information to support either like a point someone's made or a theory just to like back up that it could be legit um no i think that that pretty much smashed it to be honest so what are types of evidence that you've used in your degree so far i think mainly through first year i have tended to rely on like physical copies of textbooks mostly Mm -hmm. um research like the odd bit of information i think online but um not so much used like actual research papers or journal articles as much Guidelines, official guidelines, yeah, but not so much actual public, like um, published articles. Yeah, yeah, and I think that 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 was the same for me in first year as well. And I think in uh, in second year is where it kind of developed into being more uh, journal reading, um, searching for articles online. Mm-hmm. Um, part of that was just knowing what what kind of search engines to use because yeah, turns out there's more than just Google. Yeah, um, and so that was a look kind of a lot of it like journals online always great when you can find one that you don't have to pay for yeah um or, or articles or even um i guess you'd call them a journal but the kind of almost like a magazine style thing that you'd get through the post yep. um, that that talks a bit about evidence and, and points you in the right direction for it right so i would say that evidence is really just the the available facts or information that, that people can use to um, sort of base an argument upon. So it's sort of exactly what you were saying, Alicia. In terms of evidence within health research, uh, there's something called the hierarchy of evidence, which you, you've probably come across at some point in your in your studies. Um, and that is uh, a pyramid. So it shows the weighting that we can sort of give to different areas of, of design um, that we can sort of base our our practice upon and so this very much fits into the evidence-based practice episode and this um, sort of starts at the top of the pyramid going from meta-analyses and well-conducted systematic reviews all the way through to uh, sort of experimental designs rcts randomized controlled trials um, and then all the way down to expert opinion so it's really allowing this this ability for for someone who is an expert in a particular area and who has this sort of background to be able to use that as some sort of evidence for uh, justifying their treatment but that it may not be quite as strong in terms of the evidence-based practice process than something like a a systematic review or meta-analysis if they've been carried out well and I think there's a lot of emphasis on whether they've been carried out well and why critical appraisal is really important. It's good that you brought up the difference between the sources that we're using in your first year compared to your second year and I think typically that's because you're doing a lot of the foundation skills and that tends to be anatomy and physiology and although there are anatomy and physiology journals 
it's not often that we have new muscles or new bones that are found that really change our practice. Textbooks tend to be a really good resource for that because there's lots of information condensed into chapters. So people read the research for you and then they pop it into a textbook and they summarize it. When you get into your second year, you have those textbooks, but they tend to be far more clinically based. So that's where you want the far more recent evidence. So that's where research papers come into it. And, you know, if, if you look at the publishing years of some of the textbooks that you use, you know, even even the recent ones could be 2015, 16, which are five, four or five years old. Um, the research that goes into those may have been published two or three years before that. And they may have taken two years to get published. And then they may have taken two years to collect the data. And so in actual fact, it could be 10 years ago that it's referring to in terms of the information. So textbooks are great to give you lots and lots of condensed information. But in terms of getting up to date research evidence, journal articles tend to be a really good way of, of getting that. There isn't one that's better than another. They're different tools for different jobs in a way. Don't favour one always over another. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've, I've found that um, textbooks have been particularly helpful for reminding me of stuff that I perhaps already learned. Um, so like in second year, perhaps looking back at an anatomy textbook, just to remind myself of the intricacies of, you know, whatever part of the anatomy or or whatever I'm looking at or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, whereas journals and articles tend to just be like fresh, like new information or, or at least um, uh, updated more heavily in detail researched. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And also textbooks are there to to make a complicated concept as easy as possible. A journal article is um, not giving any fluffy background information because they have such strict word limits. So they just get straight to the point as quickly as possible and they don't always easy to to understand. So um, it can be quite daunting, I think, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of finding the evidence, what, what sort of things do you do when 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 you're looking for evidence for maybe written assignments, what, what would you be doing? So I tend to um, to go for a bit of a, like 10 tabs open on, on Google Chrome. Right. Um, in the, I kind of go for um, Google Scholar uh, is, is a, a steady one. It's not going to provide you with anything amazing. Yeah. Um, kind of bare bones. But then kind of loads of different search engines, Sage, Sinol, Pedro, Mm-hmm. Um, the university's kind of search engine literally have loads open, put the exact same thing in all of them. And it's mad to see how different the results are. Right. Um, and the different kind of things that come up. Um, and then from that, then just kind of tweaking the search terminology a little bit to to see if I can get more from them or more different articles that maybe focus on a different yeah good things so that's my approach it's very much kind of a scattergun approach initially right that, that then eventually narrows down into something um hopefully a little bit more streamlined when it comes to actually writing the assignment so so do you tend to take a systematic approach with your searching terms or or is it just a type anything that you think sort of comes into your head at the time um so initially it's quite systematic um in the I'm the I'm the kind of person that has a vague idea of where I want to go with something um 
And so I'll kind of go with that. Now, it doesn't always end up being the direction I do actually go in, you know, mm-hmm. because obviously the, the stuff that you read informs that more. Um, but yeah, so I'll, I'll probably put something in very much related to the topic of the essay. And then from that, kind of as I've written an introduction, which I do first, I know a lot of people do it last. Um, but once I've kind of got that, then I'll go with, OK, I seem to be taken in this direction. Let's search for some things that are more specific in that in that kind of format and that mm-hmm. specific area. Um, and it brings up some really interesting stuff sometimes. Um, right. And one thing that I've learned through second year is that is that there are different viewpoints on, on things. Mm. So when we're asked to be critical or, or whatever, it's, it's about saying, OK, well, this source said this thing and this source said the exact opposite. Yeah. Um, and kind of understanding that that's all right um, yeah. in, in research, especially where, where people are still figuring stuff out. So that's that's the approach I take anyway. Right. That's really pretty interesting similar. to hear about, because I think I haven't heard of the majority of those um, search <laughs> engines. I've probably only ever heard of Google Scholar. And I think um, throughout my first year, I tended to use like physical copies of text textbooks, like I said, that you could just find like on the shelf of a light of the library. Mm-hmm. Um, and other than that, I used the library's sort of like system online where you can search for like online ebooks or textbooks that are in the library. And I just picked out like keywords in the like assignment title um, mm. for the topic that it's on or the specific area and then searched those and then saw what articles like came up or what books. Um, and then as I would be reading those pieces of evidence if something else more specific came about then I'd like go back and search for that specific thing so I feel mm-hmm. like I started off with quite a general search that was along the lines of the topic of the assignment that we were given and then sort of narrowed it down as I went along mm-hmm. that highlights perfectly that there isn't one way of doing it it's it's always yep. going to be down to your personal preference but uh, but I think Nisha you pointed out I think quite well that sometimes doing the initial work will help you later on and and often having an understanding about really what's in the area will give you a sort of an ability to go away and plan the assignment that you can then look specifically for the the evidence for so this seems like a, a a several stage process but it's not quite as as bad as it first seems and if it's a bit like planning and we will come into planning it on a different episode I think but (laughs) if 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 you do a little bit of planning beforehand your life is so much easier and you often do something called a pilot search and and this is where actually Google isn't a bad thing you know Google gives you everybody's you know views and preferences and and perspectives but some of that evidence can be pretty poor some of it will be okay and I think that's what just needs to be taken into account so when you're trying to find a broad understanding of the area don't be afraid to use Google Mm. but don't be referencing Google in your assignments what we want you to do is use that pilot search in Google to get a rough idea of where your essay is going to go and then use something like your your CINAHL or, or your other databases to to move that forward Something that you're also saying, Steve, about having lots of different search engines open. Also be aware that these databases that are there, they often actually search the same journals and sources. Yeah. So if you're if you're doing sort of a search in one, it may actually be searching it twice. And so just have a look at sometimes what it's um, where it's searching and what it's looking for. Um, yeah. Get one that you use well and learn how to use it, because using one effectively will give you far better results than trying to to look at 
sort of lots and lots of different ones. Um, yeah. Unless you're specifically doing a systematic review for a project or something. So, yeah, yeah. but that's a different world completely. So let's stay away from it. <laughs> so when you've when you've done your search, how do you figure out what's sort of worth looking at and what's not? How how do you decide? Um, so I think the, the first thing that I look at that's just dead easy to look at is the date. Um, I know you've you've already mentioned that uh, a little bit, but um, if it's from like 1987. Mm-hmm. Unless it is something that does not change, like muscles or bones or whatever, yeah. Yeah. the likelihood is that a lot's gone on in that time since then. Yeah. Um, now, I have cited stuff from back then as as they've kind of informed the, the stuff that's come forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the date's a big one. Like if it's from last year, it's likely to be, well, you know, quite up to date. Um, and then I think it's it's about... Sometimes it's the author. Some some authors have done loads and loads of stuff. They appear on all these different kind of sightings on other different places. And I don't know about I don't know about you guys, but I kind of see those names and I think, oh, they've been cited by 850 people. Yeah. Maybe it'd be worth me citing them as well. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, and so yeah, there's certain names that pop up. So that, they're the two dead easy ones that I'll go with initially. Just on on that note. High citations are can be a really good way of of um, pointing out um, sort of key authors in terms of or key names within the area. However, it could be someone that's um, published something that's infamous. So they could <laughs> actually be cited because as a as an example of something that is really poor. I do read them first. Oh, that's all right then. No, that's fine. It's um, the citations are always pointed round as as indicative of high quality research. But that's probably not always the case. It is It is really important that you do actually read them, because I remember doing a similar thing to that and having a similar experience to that, where I thought, oh, man, loads of people are citing this guy and this this particular thing. I should definitely check it out. So I went and checked it out and it was awful. And like it was, it was really badly written. And I'm I'm not a good writer and I'm not somebody who knows what good writing is particularly. But I thought it was badly written. And quite a few places were kind of rinsing this, this right. particular thing. And I thought. Maybe I can use that as a comparison <laughs> rather than a you know, thing to go with. When you're critiquing an article, if it if it reads really poorly, it often means that there hasn't been care and attention put into it. And if they if there isn't enough care and attention put into writing it, was there enough care and attention put into analysing it and actually designing it in the first place? So um, it's actually very similar to when lecturers are marking assignments and you get one that's absolutely ransacked with typos and poor wording and they've been cut and pasted from different areas and like the font hasn't been changed it just screams like it's sloppy and if exactly and and if you can't even change the font you know have you actually put enough effort into actually writing it correctly i'm sure that's it's not a problem that either of you have but it's um (laughs) but it's it's just that thought process and and that is a a valid critical appraisal really that you know it, it doesn't read well so you know, is it because they don't care? Is it because of language? It could be. You know, it's it's not a, not an issue, but it just gets you thinking and gets that inquiry going. So, um, Alex, um, what, what would you say we should be looking for, as in that, that shows us that it's good evidence? What are the things that kind of stick out and make it, oh, this looks good kind of thing? Um, clarity, really. So if, if you look at something and you read a title that really makes sense and really understands everything and when you read it you read the method and can really figure out what they have done 
So they often talk about um, a method section should make something reproducible. So if you can pick something up and you can go and do exactly what they have done, it's often a very, very nice, clear study. Um, and they've shown care in the, in the way that they have reported. So that's always one of the main indications. It, it almost sounds, Alex, like you're suggesting that we shouldn't just read the abstract. No, I, I think I think sometimes going a little bit beyond the abstract can uh, can give you some of the, uh, no the sort of important details. So, um, by all means, start off with the abstract. Um, that's always going to be the first place to start. So, really, when you're looking at whether you use that piece of evidence or not, look at the title. If it's clear look at the abstract. If it sort of makes sense and they're or talking about what you want them to talk about, then get the paper. If you haven't got access to it through university, um, different universities have different access um, criteria. Um, go on places like ResearchGate or even, I don't know if this is allowed or not, but, but just typing the title with .pdf afterwards. And hmm. you tend to, to get a lot of hits back and on ResearchGate you can actually go up to the authors if they're on there and email them and just say you know I'm a student I'm really interested in this paper um you know could I possibly have a copy they might That's tell you amazing. they might tell you to shove off but it's it's a case of you know that there are different ways of getting information and if not you can always go to the British Library but just make sure that it's a paper that is exactly what you want um because you don't want to be doing that for 20 or 30 references for your your assignments. Mm. Only only do it for the key ones. Because that's um, I think that was one of my biggest frustrations last year was finding an article that looked great, but that you had to pay 25 quid to to access. Um, and I had that for for one particular essay quite often. It was right. really frustrating trying to find like our uni's got great access to a lot of stuff but when you kind of go outside of that to kind of expand your research mm. um it can be quite frustrating I'd, and to be honest i just not even considered that these are real people and that you can actually drop them an email yeah and speak to your librarian because you know this is what they do and and there's often access within the university that maybe isn't as as clear and in your face as as what they could be uh, there's also british library access so if it if it's for a dissertation and it's absolutely key to your your study you can either go to the british library when we're back to some normality just send them a request through the university and most um most universities have this access it's it's brilliant you get the pdf through to your email yeah it's it's amazing what you can do and all you've got to do is just look a little bit further mm. I'm definitely going to keep those things in mind for second year. <laughs> I think, um, throughout first year, since like it's a lot um, of content based on like anatomy and physiology theory, like we were saying earlier, mm. I think like I found myself sort of not relying on reading lists, but I definitely used that as a way to um, like work out which things would be like good quality or um recommended to go to first since mm -hmm. we could use like textbooks for those sort of things so i did definitely use my reading list yeah. the reading list is there for a reason so so you're yeah. right to use it so rely on that and he, 
even if it's a case of um, looking through the textbooks and then finding the papers that the textbooks are based upon yeah. and actually going back to that source information you can find the the types of people that are contributing throughout um, because they're often asked to write certain chapters in books as well so mm. it doesn't always mean they know everything um, but they tend to be the ones that that have done a lot of work in one particular area yeah. so um, I think another thing to think about and save yourself a lot of time with this by looking at systematic reviews. So one of your jobs when you're writing assignments is to collate a lot of information uh, from different sources. Mm. Well, that's exactly what a systematic review does. And they've already done the searches in depth and they've already sort of looked at all these areas, although they are looking at a very specific part of all those studies together. And so why not just use some of those studies that have been collated by that systematic review mm. as long as you acknowledge it yes. within your referencing and just say these are the studies that were were looked at mm. it's it's not a bad thing um don't make your life hard you know it's it's about it's not cutting corners it's about being smart with your time and smart with um, economical exactly exactly mm. so. is there a Obviously, we've already mentioned a bunch of search engines, but is there one where systematic reviews are the kind of the main body of the stuff that it ends up searching? Um, no, not really. You can search within things like PubMed that there is a, a reviews filter button. So when you're searching, always click the advanced search because that will open up a number of different things um, that you can filter by. I think often people don't like the advanced search button because it sounds like beyond everyone. You know, <laughs> it's a bit like when you go to turn your, your computer off and, and it says, you know, it's now safe to turn your computer off. It's like, you know, if I just press the button, would it have exploded or something? You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it, it sort of makes people worried just because it's a word. So when you open the advanced search, it's just things like, do I want it in the English language? Do I want to look for full text only, which is another way of getting around your unable to, to get it um it does narrow it down somewhat so if you're trying to be very specific um you might not want to click that button but you can get them so you can get the full text of all of them you can get humans only you know on pubmed so it, it restricts all the animal studies um so there's lots of different filters within there use them and reviews is one of them but if you're going for the gold standard obviously cochrane um systematic reviews are just a database of systematic reviews so that's really all they do in meta-analyses so um they're not light reading they are high quality and considered to be the gold standard of evidence so they're not something that you can just pick up and, and rattle off easy but um they are the best evidence and um, they are a good source of information depending on um if you're used to reading them but also if if they are right for your assignment so mm -hmm. um it's fair to say as well isn't it that yeah, like you were just saying it, it's not like reading but I, I don't know what an actual ratio is but i spend at least twice as much time reading as i do writing mm -hmm. at, at least because well i guess you've just got to be informed on you yeah. to actually to actually write some stuff and the mm -hmm. problem is that can be quite painstaking especially if you wake up you know, and you're just not feeling it one day, you end up having to read like 15 reviews or something or whatever. 
I think there are certain approaches to reading papers, which we're going to cover in another episode as well. So about how to read a paper. So perhaps some ways of um, of making that job a little less um, onerous. Um, but also it, it's about this time management and uh, you know about leaving things to the last minute you know it, you know take your time and do your work beforehand and the writing is so much easier um, because it just fits into place all you're doing is slotting in those bits of information that you've read as opposed to having to try and build it from scratch mm. which is really difficult um, but also plan your reading you know if you're halfway through a paper and you're thinking this has got nothing to do with me you know get rid of it and don't be afraid to then move on to the next thing. It's um, it's about being brutal and uh, and straight to the point. I think. So. Yeah, I definitely agree with the like um, organizing your time properly to do enough preparation for it and plan it in advance. Because I remember when um, I was on placement and we had an assignment that like we we're supposed to be writing like at the same time. And I remember speaking to my um, visiting tutor that was going to come and see me on placement before I went out um to talk about like how would be the best way for me to manage my time while I'm on placement because obviously like it's really exhausting and you don't want to be getting home and then having to read loads of stuff and research on top of all of your research that you might have to do for your placement as well so I remember um like deciding to do the majority of my planning for my assignment before I went out on placement so it was easier to write while I was out and I remember mm-hmm. um my tutor saying that like since I'd planned it that's like half the job done because then it's so much easier to write so I definitely second that <laughs> grief I wish I'd done that to be honest <laughs> I am because I am not a planner I'm just kind of like a oh no this needs doing uh this is due in two weeks I'm not quite last minute but but I'm I'm certainly not as well planned as uh, as you wish. <laughs> Coming at it from having a pile of papers and just reading one every night and making notes as you go is far far easier than trying to read you know fourteen in one go. And and even on Twitter, when you look at like the academic chatter tag and and what people are saying on there, these are yeah. PhD students who and and even researchers that this is what they do for their job and they talk about taking a day to read a paper Mm. and because you're you're involved in the detail and one of the things that we were talking about in the last episode was was about um glossing over a lot of the detail because it's not needed you know it's needed when you get to phd level because you want to be able to critique down to the nitty-gritty but for you know an undergraduate student who's wanting a very very clear um outcome from a study you don't have to know whether their specific approach of qualitative analysis was was correct or not. But the the, the first thing is about being interested in and inquiring, having that question. Starting those questions is all about being interested in a subject and about mm-hmm. seeing that patient and thinking, I wonder what's happening there or, or you know, it leads you on to that next step. And to be honest, if, if you're not interested in, in the profession, and I know that there will be some people that aren't interested in the respiratory side or are interested in more more sort of certain aspects, and that's fine. But if you don't have questions like that at all uh, within the profession, you're in for a very long career. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I can't think of anything worse, really, than, than not being interested in something that I'm going to have to do for the next potentially 50 years. And it's a good thing that we are different because you enjoy reading about it then I enjoy hearing from people who've read about it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the other way of doing it. Yeah, obviously listen to things like this. And uh, 
took me quite a while to to realize things like how to play the game for essay writing you know there's a few very very key concepts and if you do those you're on to a winner reading papers reading things like systematic reviews so we'll we'll touch on those as we go along Mm -hmm. so um uh, one more question about things like sources in an assignment and how many you should use when you're sort of approaching an assignment how many pieces of evidence do you tend to to go for does it matter um yeah i think it does if you're uh, there's two ways to come at it i think i think if you're writing an essay to get a good grade um this this is true and if you're writing to make it good for yourself this also applies but the best way to do that surely is to have the most well-rounded uh, viewpoints from from as many places as possible yeah um to then inform your thinking and to inform the way that you write basically as many as i can up to my word limit right um so sometimes i'll i'll get several in, in one paragraph and that works really well but i think i've all i think consistently i've had well over 20 in in every everything i've written um with some being more like 30 to do it that way anyway yeah 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 i was gonna say i think for the assignments i've written so far obviously i haven't done as many as you steve yet but um i think <laughs> just you wait around like 15 plus references i think but i think it's also important to not just use them for the sake of it just to have a load of different ones in there i think like even if you were to have less but they were better quality more reliable more valid to like the points you were making then i think that is probably okay too yeah yeah and the the questions often asked and it's a question that i hate to answer and often try to get out of as much as possible um because there isn't an answer really it's how many references shall i have and it's going to depend on so many different factors because you could have one or two very, very key pieces of evidence that um, you focus on a lot more, or there could be very little evidence and you're picking on lots and lots of little small places to form one argument. So you want to show that you've been critical. So sometimes the opposing view um, is also key to put in. So Mm. I think, um, if it's not from your head, it should be referenced. Yeah. In that, um, unless you're kind of literally, like you were just saying, talking about your personal kind of take on something, you've got that from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And therefore that, that should be referenced and sourced. Yeah. Um, and it sounds really obvious when you say it, but I think it, it was just a helpful thing to hear mm-hmm. um, to kind of go, uh, that is not my original idea. I should give somebody else the credit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. and if you are coming up with something that is a new idea, you know, in, in a, a dissertation or something, you might be looking at a new or novel area um, or what evidence has informed your decision to go down that route. Yeah. So there might not be evidence on it, so you can't talk about it, but I've read this paper and this paper and this paper to come up with this idea, basically. So it could be that exercise is really good for strengthening, but they've only looked at it in a Parkinson's population. I want to look at it in a stroke population. So what you do is you reference those papers, the ones that have looked at Parkinson's and the ones that have looked at strengthening and other exercise, and then you say, this has led me to, to talk about 
within a stroke. So um, your your views and your understanding of things have come from somewhere. It's about trying to nail that down. But um, choose your sources wisely. But yeah, I mean, some of the things you see referenced are, are quite hilarious in a way. Does that help? Definitely. Yeah, man, definitely. Uh, yeah, I've learned quite a lot from this episode and there's a lot of things I'll definitely be keeping in mind for a second yet. <laughs> well, that's good. Every day is a learning day and, and yeah. you know, you're constantly learning. Even even when you qualify and go out, you'll still be hopefully uh, looking at papers and, and, and information. You know, it's, it's, there isn't one size fits all. You know, the searching will be different depending on what you're doing. And so don't get too bogged down with it. You know, just cases, go find the information. To be honest, talk about it. You know, if you're doing assignments, you're often doing very similar assignments with your course mates. Mm. You know, this is where getting together as a group and finding a paper and also almost having your own journal club. It means that you can all summarize your paper well and you've just got six or seven papers then if you've got that many friends i'm sure you have (laughs) but we shall leave it there i think so thank you very much for listening goodbye if you have any questions thoughts or comments on today's episode then you can email us on theevidencebasedphysio at gmail.com alternatively you can find us on social media at twitter or instagram at the ebp podcast please let us know what you think of the episodes And also leave questions or subjects you'd like to cover in the future. Thank you for listening.